AI is making its way into car dealerships faster than ever before. But will we see robots on the sales floor or will the real impact happen behind the scenes? My guest today is Aaron Horowitz, the CEO of Fullpath, a cutting edge customer data platform that is helping dealerships innovate using AI. We discuss how AI is changing car buying, whose job may be up for grabs, how dealerships are predicting car shopper behavior, what will it be like to buy a car in five years from today, and much more. What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. But before we get into the show, this episode is brought to you by Autofy. Autofy helps progressive dealers like you sell smarter, not harder, on your dealership website and now in your showroom too. Autofy solves the everyday problems dealers actually face, like bottlenecks at the sales desk, customer distrust, and decision overload. And their all-new showroom solution includes deal estimation, desking, lender routing, and an F&I menu. All of this in one powerful platform that bridges the gap between the CRM and the DMS. Dealerships with Autofy can manage the floor more efficiently, fast-track the yes, and make better lender decisions, enabling them to sell cars faster with higher satisfaction and more profit. In fact, deals with Autofy take an average of 28 minutes from customer check-in to loan approval, and dealers are making $411 more back-end PVR per deal. Go to autofy.com slash CDG to learn more. That's autofy.com slash CDG and start selling smarter today. Last time you were here, it feels like it was like a century ago when it comes to just the advancement of AI and just dealership technology. You brought tons of insight. It was super well received. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dig back in. Before we get into AI and all that stuff, can you table set for a second? Explain to us what you do. What is Full Path and what do you actually do? Yeah, Fullpath is a customer data platform for car dealers and a marketing automation platform that lives on top of the customer data platform. So we call ourselves a CDXP, customer data and experience platform. The experience being the way that we can use data to create great customer experiences and bring more shoppers and buyers to the dealerships. Okay, so what is a customer data platform? Oh, that is a great question. Or, lot- or let me ask differently, right? If you take two dealerships, one has a customer data platform, one doesn't. What's the difference? So A, the best metaphor in my mind is, is like that picture we've probably all seen, the meme on Twitter of like the iceberg, what you see above the water and what you see below the water, right? So imagine a customer uh, or a dealership, okay, with like 150,000 records in their CRM, whatever, tens of thousands in their DMS with an advertising platform, with an email platform, with all that stuff, right? And imagine two dealerships like that, exactly the same amount of data, okay, that sits in their system, all right? In one of them, they've done all the work to say, okay, like, here's a guy named Jack, a woman named Jill, right? What has she done? What does she like? What cars has she looked at throughout her history? What has she bought? What emails has she opened? And in the other one, there's just records and there's the mess of data, okay? The first dealership that has it organized, underneath that dealership, there's just a huge amount of data structured and ready to go to make really personalized outreaches and engagements to Jill. And in the other dealership, they say have the same data, but they have no way to leverage it to give a personalized outreach that's gonna cause Jill to really wanna come in and buy a car at a higher rate or service there. So very simply, what a customer data platform is, it's like, it like goes to all the silos with like a truck 
right? All the data silos, the CRM, the DMS, it picks up all the data, you know, once a day, once an hour, however often as you can up to real time. It takes it to a central processing place. It organizes and it cleans it. And then it says to all the marketing and the sales operations, hey, here you go. Here's the information about Jill. Here's what she likes. Let's write the email this way. Let's have the conversation this way. Let's talk about the vehicle in that way. And it's a lot of software that is involved in doing that, but very simple. All it does, it, it creates what they call like a, you know, a pretty a clean data layer uh, for the dealership and then enables the dealership to do just smarter outreach and engagement. I looked at your crunch base, saw that you launched in 2015. What happened in 2015 that spawned this opportunity for customer data platform? I have a suspicion, but I want to hear it from you. Like what changed in the actually, world? We, we, we actually only came into automotive later, like 17, 18, we pivoted in. And you know, by 19, we were really becoming fully automotive oriented. But the whole space of customer data platforms actually emerged like a little earlier, like out of auto, I don't know, 2012, uh, something like that. So what changed? What happened? So what happened was that there were all these disparate systems, and a lot of them were like legacy repository style systems still, right? And, and you know, you had everything just sitting all over the place. CRMs had some data, emails had some data, email systems had some data, you know, MailChimp had some data, right? And there was a need to create a unified customer idea across all these platforms, right? And a lot of these systems that existed to do that at some point woke up and said, oh, wow, we actually are the data layer. We are the core hub that has all the different insights and we can actually leverage that for customers. So that was what emerged there. And you saw a really interesting motion out of auto. You saw like Salesforce go out and buy companies and set up these CDPs. You know, they bought Datarama in order to build connection connectors uh, into databases. They built other things and, you know, eventually came out with a customer data platform that unified all the data silos. You saw the same thing with other with other vendors. So it didn't really exist in auto. And we were sitting around the office in uh, 2022. We just read a book called, a few of us here, called Play Bigger. I don't know if you if you read that, Play Bigger. It's a, it's, it's a good book. It's, it talks about like, categories as defining a marketing uh, initiative. So you can kind of create a category. And we had this platform that was doing a lot. It was doing marketing automation. It was doing data collection. It was the most connected platform in the industry as far as we knew. And it actually had the levers to do stuff with it. So you didn't just have the data. You could take the data and send a smart email automatically or make a smart ad or whatever it might be. And we were like, huh, like we're just getting lost in all the noise. Maybe we could create a category and actually... I know Mike Colaccio, our, our VP sales at the time, and Ilana Shabtai, our VP marketing, we were sitting around. And, you know, Mike was like, oh, we keep talking about CDPs out of auto, like, you know, Telium and Blue Shift and all these CDPs. Why don't we just bring CDP to auto? And I think Ilana was like, all right, let's be a CDXP, customer data and experience platform. And that was it. We were like, great, this works. We announced it and, you know, released the CDP. And that, that's what we've been doing. So pretty much the way I look at it is tech adoption in the dealership space, right? It was horrendous for many years. It's gotten a lot better. You see the opportunity of all this tech stuff. You say, hey, let's extract this data and leverage it to make the sales process more efficient, make it more profitable, reduce expenses, enhance customer experience, right? So like, if I'm a customer in 2010 versus a car buyer today, right? 
and correct me if I'm wrong here, please, I can get a much more personalized message across the entire ecosystem, whether it's to buy a new car, to service my car, something along those lines, but super personalized to me, you know, given my mileage on the car, maybe where I live, my who knows what. I mean, you could tell me where the limit is drawn, but that's fundamentally what is happening today. Yeah, when it's done right, any data that the dealership has gathered that's legitimate to be used, right? It's it's opted in in some way, plus any third-party data that's legitimate to be used can be put into some sort of mix to create a better marketing and sales experience. And, I, and I'll give you a couple examples. I was talking to one of our longest standing customers, a guy named Steven Gabara. He's uh, the GM of a dealership called Zot Ford in Detroit. And, and he was telling me this crazy story. He said, I always had this dream, you know, since like Siri and Google uh, Android emerged, right? Apple, Siri, and, and then the ability to talk to Google, that just like I ask my phone sometimes, hey, like how much snow is on the ground or how long is it going to take me to get to work or what's the temperature outside? And it gives me an answer. That's a good answer. I can also ask it questions like, hey, it's the last day of the month. Who wants to buy a car today? Right. And I want my phone to tell me, hey, call these four people and you can make a sale. Okay. So he was actually in Israel where all of our our ideas and he was hanging out with us. He told this story to one of our product managers, a guy named Elik. And I don't know, five, six months later, Elik calls him and says, hey, Stephen, open up your email. And Stephen's like, okay, why? He's like, I just sent you your phone's answer to the question of who's going to buy a car today. Okay. And so Stephen opens up the email and he sees a list of five people. He says, what is this? Elik says, I used our algorithms from all the data we're collecting from all your systems. And I can tell you that these people who you haven't talked to in forever, who have shown no visible signs to you of wanting to buy, will buy a car in the next week or two or are already buying a car today. I don't know. So Stephen's like, okay, let me try it. So he gets one of his sales guys to call them. And according to the way Stephen told me, he's like three, they couldn't reach two. But three of them were bullseyes. They were actually either had just bought a car within the past 48 hours or were planning to buy a car in the next two, the next two weeks. And so that level of just insight into the data where you can build a picture and create an essence like a new category of lead. Now, dealers have, as you know, they have phone up and they have showroom up and they, you know this up concept, which I guess was an old concept of like, hey, someone's walking in the store, let's get up, right? I guess that's what it was, next up. So they have these up concepts, they call it a lead and up. So there's like a showroom up, which is someone who walks in the door. There's a phone up, someone who makes a phone call. And then there's an internet up, someone who fills out an internet lead. Suddenly there's a CDP up, a customer data platform up. We've done alchemy. We've taken data, we've turned it into actual actionable intelligence on someone who might want to buy a car. And that's not just good for the dealership, it's actually good for the consumer. That's actually the first thing I thought about. I mean, as a customer, it's much better for me, kind of doing the work for me. Listen, if you call and say, hey, I'm just checking in, want to just say hello, haven't talked for a while, happy to share anything we've got going on in our specials or whatnot, that person might appreciate it. If you call and try to like pitch them hard, they probably won't appreciate it. So again, it depends how, you, how the dealership approaches it. But I do think that's the baseline of like why the, the data works. Now, you then take it to the next level. You say, okay, great. We can give these insights, but what dealership has the time to act on all those insights? Or what dealership has the human power to act on all those insights? Very few or none. So then you say, okay, 
email programs. I don't know. There's a lot of them in our industry, right? Friends of ours, competitors like Outsell, like uh, Four Eyes, right? You know, great companies. Full Path. We have something called audience activation. You have these email programs. I know that you know Sally is interested in these five cars. I know that Sally has this amount of equity in her loan. I know when her last payment date. I know everything that the dealership is allowed to know, and I can then use that to construct campaigns with certain amounts of urgency in emails. And I can actually write those emails automatically and inject all sorts of relevant information. And those can go out with full automation and the dealership can just wait and collect those leads. Then I say, well, hey, Sally's about to walk in the door and there's a salesperson sitting there. I can suggest here's four cars that Sally's visited and look like her current deal. That might be a zero payment raise flip, you know, something really nice. And more than that, here's AI talking points that compare her existing car to the cars that you can wow. catch all, all that's already in your system. We're not even talking like future. This is exists right but, now. But how? Where? What is that information? What is the source of all this information? So, a you, you know when like it depends how you want to approach it. Like we do different things. So one, the source of all the information is the cleaned up version, the hygienized version of the CRM, of the DMS, of website browsing data and form fills, all the stuff that happens going on, all the data information that's created. That's what we have to be really good. So full path, we've never announced this. We'll probably announce it in NADA, but anyone who's listening will get an early announcement. We're connected. I think we just counted last week. So this might be out of date. We have 198 data sources that we can currently ingest, right? Websites, CRMs. Not all of those have APIs. APIs are computer to computer talking languages, right? But we figured out ways to get the data in. Once you have that data in, you have to decide what to do with it. Some of it's just basic stuff. If a column says first name and then the next one says first underscore name, those are both first names. Put them together. You know you have the same person if, if it's the same you know, first name, email, phone, etc. But some of it's much more complex. A typo in an email. Is it the same person or is it a, is it a different person? And there's all these ways to resolve those things. We use all these different algorithms we've developed and others have developed. When you want to do stuff that's like proactive, you want to say give talking points to a salesperson, there you're going to probably use GPTs because the generative capabilities of a GPT, where you can give it information about a vehicle, you can give it trim and give it all this stuff. You can say, hey, compare it to this and then output some talking points about where the benefits or the disadvantages are. The GPTs are pretty good at that, uh, we have found. So that's the type of stuff where you're going to use a GPT. So everything has its own little tool box that you're going to want to use. I'd have to imagine that the rise of AI has been very quick at least, the, or let's just say the way it's gotten mainstream, so, you know, Chad GPT and all that. I'd have to imagine that for you, that's like the just the golden opportunity, given what you're doing and you're ingesting all these data sources. Two-part question here, like how are you leveraging AI today? And then how are you going to leverage it in the future to just do all the, everything you're doing currently, but better, faster? Tell me about that. Yeah, well, it's a great question. I mean, I actually think the what's gotten most of the, the buzz has been the new type of AI, right? The generative AI. What does that mean? So up until now, there's lots of forms of like what what people call AI, which is like just a way to use computer algorithms to um, take a look at different problem sets and data sets and try to like make an intelligent prediction that maybe isn't obvious from the data, right? And there's all these algorithms collaborative filtering algorithms, there's random forest algorithms, right? There's all these fancy mathematical frameworks that aren't really important for us to to talk about. So we've been using a lot of those. And a lot of those are also off the shelf. I'm not 
saying we have, we we like are doing anything particularly special there. We just use them. They're well known algorithms. So, for example, a simple example would be, you know, the way that Netflix or Amazon can suggest what other things you might want to buy. They might use what's called a collaborative filtering algorithm. So we've been using those things, frankly, since the company was founded. We've had to we've used those to suggest you know cars in our chat, or we've used those with all these different tools. The one that's creating all the buzz is a a new form, or it's not new, but it's it's called generative pre-trained transformers, right? What they call generative AI. It's, it's based on what are, are known as neural networks, which is an AI model. It's meant to like mimic the way like the brain works, and it comes from like the field of deep learning. And so when you look at that, that actually existed quite a long time ago, meaning they were trying to build these different, you know, ways to handle uncertainty and have computers actually like say the right thing, even in an environment where it doesn't know all the answers. Like one of the earliest attempts at this was to create a language, a simple language that had never existed before to train a computer on it and then have it almost like expand the language in a logical way that would work. Right. So. That's been going on for a while. In 2017, Google researchers published a paper um, about GPTs, and that sparked this like new generation, right? Which came to fruition most recently with OpenAI's uh, GPT. So we actually find this to be really, really powerful, and we think it's going to change a lot of things. You know, as as we experienced it, it has transformed, for example, hundreds of dealers that are using our. GPT-based chat for consumers, they're, you know, we're processing every day thousands and thousands of shoppers, giving them great conversations and experiences, getting them in as leads, as was famously, famously covered on Twitter. We had a group of pranksters come and also do silly things with it. But I think that's the that's sort of the anomaly. That's like the fun buzz around a new technology, and that's going to fade away. And we're seeing like everyone adopting GPT for chats because you really can let normal shoppers have a great experience and, you know, and, and whatnot. So, so we see it like in a consumer facing way. That's cool. Transformative is going to be in the way it works for businesses behind the scenes. And we're doing a lot there. Tell me more about that though. How is it going to push the envelope in this industry? Right? Like we have, people have consistently kind of joked about the auto industry that's so far behind in tech. Right now, AI is sort of at the forefront of all this kind of technological revolution. I mean, shit, I'm using AI in things I'm doing. I'm testing my social clips, right? We've trained my voice so that when we do my social clips, I can actually write a quick hook and use it with AI. Now, it's not perfect yet. Like, I'm still recording them myself. But the point is, it's like, it's crazy the capabilities. Oh, it's that amazing. I, yeah. I, it's, it's actually bringing real efficiency. So tell me, how does that actually parlay to the automotive industry specifically? When it comes to like dealers, let me posit this question to you. When do you think a dealer is going to hire its first AI employee? So you laugh at that. You may not, you don't. No, no, I'm not, I'm not laughing. I, I, I think well, we, that the AI that's coming quite soon and, you know, we're all going to be part of that. But what I'll tell you is we got pitched by some startup here that offers AI developers is in their AIs that write code. You train it, you this, that, the other thing, and it will work in your code repository. It's, it's insane. So if I want to create an AI agent that can do, for example, inventory analysis for dealers and work with the new, with the new car director or with uh, the used car director, and they can literally talk to it, ask questions, and it's sitting on not just the dealer's own inventory, but frankly, like a national set or an OEM set, right? You can pull all the inventory that's you know, on the boats and on the trains all the inventory that's on the ground, 
And you can use all sorts of ways to decipher all the codes of the different pieces. And it can really be an asset to the inventory manager, right? So that type of thing we see happening quite soon. And there's all different sorts of different ways that that's going to take place. So I actually think dealers are going to be open to it in particular internally. And then there's the more innovative dealers who want to also use it externally and help customers leverage it for customers. So, you know, it's going to be a, a little bit of a stop-start adoption, but it's, it's inevitable that it will be adopted. But where do you think is going to be the biggest impact? When you look at the opportunities today, do you think the biggest impact will be with consumers or will it be behind the scenes for me, uh, you know, as a dealer or a business in general, I'm going to be leveraging it for efficiency? I, I think that pound for pound, the biggest impact is going to be in the next five, five to six years for the business behind the scenes. But I think 10 years down, it's going to be for the consumers. It's We're all going to be operating in a world where you either have personal agents, you, you you can set up AI searches, you could have AIs do things for you, and that's just going to be quite transformative. Again, I'm not a huge booster of technology, and you know, I, it's just it's just obvious when you are in our space that this type of tool is going to be adopted. It's 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 hard to see how you would see it differently once you're actually building stuff with it, and that's you know that's I think a, a pretty powerful statement. So we're going to see that. I will say. And this is like our message to dealers right now is that if you want to be ready for that, the most important thing is to get your data house in order. So most dealers, if you walk up to them and ask them, hey, what's your data strategy? Right? They don't really think about that. They don't have an answer for that. That's obviously outside of auto, like the only thing people are thinking about right now, right? What's my data strategy? So you need to be able to figure out how do you get your data organized? How do you get it in a proper format? How do you clean it up? And then once you have that set, you can use AI or you can use automation, right? Which often is running some maybe prior version of, or some other version of AI or machine learning to do magic. And it takes a lot of the doing load off the people and lets them focus on executive decision-making and creativity and thinking outside the box. So just as an example, if I have a challenge, I have a, let's say an AI agent in the future, it's monitoring my systems. It notices that maybe a competitor is doing something, right? It comes to me and says, hey, I see this happening. Here's what I suggest. Should I do it? Yes or no? You say yes, boom, new ads are created, new emails are sent out, new analyses are created, and you're able to execute uh, with like a lot of intelligence and speed. So yeah, the, the other thing that we talk a lot about in Full Path is sensor to solution loops. So I guess like this is where like our you know, unfortunately, you know, the like military analogies come in, right? But like, if you let's give you here's a random example, if, if someone's, you know, launching a rocket somewhere in the world, and you need to take that rocket out of the sky, how fast can you see that rocket launch and trigger something to take it out of the sky? Okay, so we actually have people who work there whose jobs, you know, were building algorithms to take rockets out of the sky, right? That's the type of thing that, you know, you have to think about those things. So anyways, the point is, what we look at a lot is when there's an anomaly in the data or there's something happening, do we have a way to surface it for the dealership and quickly apply a solution? Simple example, a good equity position buyer showed up on the website. She'd previously opted in. So, you know, we have and maybe done something. So we know, we know that that's happening. The dealership doesn't, but the person had opted in. They, you know, submitted their lead at some point in the CRM or what have you. And now they're on the website and they're in a good equity position and they're looking at a car that we want to sell. 
can we really quickly close that loop for the dealership and both make sure our salesperson knows, make sure a call happens, make sure the right email goes out, make sure they're in the right ad audience. That's a very important loop to close because that really could be a sale at a very high likelihood. So that's you know a simple example. Or complex examples might be, wow, it's interesting, the cost per lead on Ionics is going up in the market. Can we see whether competitors may be doing something and do we need to go compete or can we find a way to ride someone else's investment in the market and take their, you know, take, take, get benefit of their traffic of their spend to kind of wake up awareness about Ionics by doing certain email campaigns or certain other advertising campaigns that will enable us to get that, that interest and capture it at a lower cost for our client. Another example would be, you know, uh, data showing that there's a certain increase in the velocity of a certain model that's being sold. What does that mean? What do we need to do? Can we trigger certain things automatically, right? Do we need to drop certain, you know, prices, raise certain prices? So all that, all that stuff should happen as much as possible quickly, automatically, with the dealer knowing what's going on, able to make decisions where necessary. What's been the industry's appetite on this? Like, I'm listening to you speak, and it's fascinating just how things are changing and evolving. What are you seeing as far as dealers, just the automotive industry in general? What is the appetite for all this new software, all these new tools? Are people listening? Like, I'm listening to you right now, and I'm just intellectually curious. This, like, fascinates me. But dealer wants to sell cars. Right, and obviously this is this is a part of that. But what's the appetite for this? All all of this? Yeah, like it's just follows the same patterns that any tech adoption cycle <laughs> follows. Right, there's obviously your early adopters, you know, there's some sort of mainstream. Then there's your latecomers, right? And you know, in sub segments, it's like a you know reading like a Clay Christensen book in uh, business school or something. Right, it basically is what it is. It's the, it follows the pattern. So I think right now we're in the point where Early adopters are already in the game and they're doing the work that it takes to get ready. I think we're on the verge of going mainstream with things like customer data platforms. What I'll tell you is auto is a tough industry for data. It more resembles like a commodities, like a, I don't think about like a rentier state, right? Where they, they have oil and they pull the oil out of the ground and, you know, they control the oil, you have to pay for the oil. So data is like that. There's like all these countries that control a lot of data. And sometimes even like the country doesn't control their own data. <laughs> they have to pay a third party for access to their own data. So there's dealers who've like given their data to other places and can't even get it. And then you've got situations where there's a big pipe coming out with with a, with oil, right? With dealer data. Sorry for the metaphor here, but there's a big pipe <laughs> coming out. And I want to go now and hook up hook up another pipe so we can join the data I, together. I love the metaphors. The metaphors Right, and great. I'm like, oh, wow, they, they build all their pipes like this and the other, our pipes are smaller. Wait, so I have to now build a connector to like size my pipe to their pipe. And then, oh, wait, guess what? That other country that has some, that other, you know, area that has some of your data, your data is now split into three different places. Guess what? They use railroad tracks and ticker trains. So I have to take it from the railroad tracks into one thing. By the time you build enough you know, architecture to pull all that all that data into one pool, right? You then realize, uh-oh, country A labeled the same data differently than country B, and you've got a mess in the pool, you've got a clean. So that that's a lot of the the challenge for the mainstream. Dude, you have some good metaphors, man. 
Thank you, man. I, I never know if they're similes or metaphors. I, 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 <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. That part of That's not my turf. My wife was an English major, so I, I, I should. Oh, my goodness. But anyways, point is, I don't know how fast the transition can go because the early adopters are willing to do, do things to get the data organized. The mainstream is going to have to either work with like a full path who has done a lot of work to build all those weird connectors to the pipes or wait until vendors and others make more standardized APIs. And I think that that's, that's sort of the dilemma here is, you know, how do we do things that in a sense might be bad for a specific vendor, but better for the industry? One of our mentors once said, like, a lot of just like when an industry has to evolve, like it's sometimes very, it's good for the species, but it's bad for the individual animals sometimes. So, you know, if, if a vendor is making all of its money off of hoarding the data and we're saying, hey, you got to open the data up for, for the dealers to be successful, your own customers, but they say, wait, but everyone pays me for that now. Well, sure, but we're going to make you start naming names soon. No, we're not going to name I know. Well, but but what are what are like? G- give me some examples of like the actual business functions that you think are going to are going to be impact, or actually are like are being impacted right now, you know, by by your platform, by this data. Sure. Like, I'll just give you a simple example. Like, like let's take marketing. Okay, outreach. A lot of what a dealer needs to do is to reach out, reach out to people, and and make them aware of what. What opportunities there are. By the way, one one of the most common questions I get in my DMs is I just got one right before this call and I get it all the time. Right. People ask me, I'm I'm looking for more ways to source clients, obviously, and to get more outreach and blah, blah, blah. So just putting that out there. That's one of the top questions yeah, I always get. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really important. It can make or break a month, right? So like most dealers think of marketing mainly to their when they say like database marketing, they're usually really looking at their DMS data, right? DMS for those that don't know is like I guess it's like a dealer ERP. It's a yeah, dealer, a dealer ERP. Yeah. It's like the core accounting, you know, source of truth for what happens in the dealership, what cars are bought, what, what, what cars are serviced. So dealers look at those and say, okay, like, let's do like a loyalty program and like look for dealer, people who fit certain criteria and they, they do an outreach. But, but I'll ask a dealer, well, what about someone who was a lead seven years ago and you haven't heard from since? Is that person in the market? They're like, I have no idea. I'm like, well, you have data on that person. That person might have been on your website today. Do you know? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, well, we can find out. Let's use this automation program that we hook into CRM and this, then, then suddenly starts to send emails, relevant emails, because it goes back seven years and says, here's the thing that this person was most passionate about or most interested in. It sends a nice, gentle touch and a huge amount of people from seven years ago do some action. And as they do some action, they're starting to create connections in the data. And now I know, oh, wow, I, that person's kind of identified. They've raised a hand. And I can see they were on the website looking at an F-150 three weeks ago. And suddenly we can say, hey, here's a person from seven years ago. You should probably be in touch with that person because they're looking at an F-150. Would we want to send them an email? They're like, yes, I would. And I can't send, I can't go through 10,000 records manually now. Oh, no problem. It'll automatically write the email, automatically send it, and then handle the back and forth maybe and, and, and drop a lead in your CRM, right? So that's the type of functions that are already being handled pretty easily. And what's coming up next? What do you think is the next couple steps there? We we think that one of the biggest challenges for dealerships is like making the old school new school. So you've got you've got great people sitting in dealerships, but in particular after COVID, like selling cars is not the easiest thing in the world. People don't necessarily remember some of the 
the ways that you sell cars from before. And so we actually think that finding ways to really integrate with their workflow, maybe they're in CRM, maybe they're wherever they are, and you know, I don't, every case is a little different, and giving them insight on a shopper or someone walking in the door saying, hey, here's, here's some things you could say, here's some opportunities you could offer, really arming them with those things could be very valuable to dealerships. And then making sure that whatever happens there in that moment in that interaction is translated through into the market and brought back when next time the person comes in. So we think like the most important thing right now, what's going to be all the work of the next year or so is, is going to be just connecting all those dots and making sure that the customer journey is as connected as seamless as possible. Then how does that compare to what it is like today? It's pretty, pretty shattered, pretty, pretty siloed. Also, like it's, it's hard to ask someone who's not used to like opening a screen and looking at it to do it. It's got to be in their workflow. But right now, most CRMs that we look at, we do a lot of CRM analysis. We do a lot of DMS analysis. But most CRMs we look at could have 30 to 50% of their shoppers as duplicates or near duplicates, right? So you, you have like four instances of Sarah. And no one's doing the work to merge those together in an intelligent way or trying to figure out, is it all the same person? And then you look at like a shopping experience of Sarah and she's getting just the generic email about trucks, but she has no interest in trucks. She's looked, she's told you what she's interested in by her behavior. So she's still getting the truck email dealership down the road that has a CDP and hasn't hooked into their outreach arms, their engagement arms, right? They're not offering her a truck. They're offering her what she wants, right? Another example where I think it's going to go is like collaboration. So if I'm a shopper right now and I go to a dealership and I click on an ad for like a lease offer and I come to the website, I browse, I convert, whatever, full path CDP knows what car that person is interested in. They know what lease offer enticed them. Now, when they're on the website, even before they convert, they clicked in on that ad. I already had most of that information. When that chat pops up to say, hello, how can I help you today, right? If it's a full path chat, it's gonna relate to what we know about the person from that in initial interaction. We don't give them too much data of the chat, but we give it enough. I have that data even if they're not using me. Let's say they're using a competitor chat. I would love to hand that data off to the competitor and say, hey, mention this lease special when you, when you say hello. Doesn't have to be full path, right? So that ability to work like interoperability between vendors, I think is going to be really important for dealers. It just doesn't exist. Is that, I was going to say, like, does any of that exist today? Not really. Like even when people were saying it exists, it doesn't really exist. Meaning integrations are not real integrations. There's, yes, sure. I can go get the info, but, but, or I can give the info to someone, but do they really know what to do with it? And that's the real thing. Like one of the principles we came up with as we were building our company was we only talk about data or claim and integration when we can do something with the data. If there's a data source that I can stick in my database in a table, but I can't do anything with it for the dealer, who cares, right? Like, but a lot of people think that having data matters. It doesn't matter if you have data. It matters if you have data and you can do something valuable for it with the customer. By the way, in a lot of ways, this is just going back to like pre-internet times in some ways, if you think about it. Like dealers, you know, dealers were always community hubs. Dealers were always rooted in local, you know, local environment. The dealers there knew everybody, right? And most of the time, families bought from the same dealer year after year after year. There were relationships. You kind of knew their kids. You knew what was happening. You knew when the birthdays were coming. Like there's just a lot of awareness. And then as the internet emerged, and in particular, like endemic sites like you know, cars.com and, and car gurus, et cetera, came out, 
like dealers just became like phone numbers and prices and the relationship broke. And I think a lot of what dealers want to do now is take back those relationships and, and they have now the tools to do it. So they can compete now against the big players because of these CDPs and, and the power that is going to emerge from AI capabilities. More than that, I think it actually gives dealers a fighting chance to compete against emergent competitors who would love to dominate the whole industry, the Amazons, the, the, the Walmarts one day, right? That's where things are going to go down the road, where you're going to see, like, finally, these big players find a way to get in on the car business in a more, more meaningful way. I think dealers will have to, if they embrace these tools, CDPs, AI, they actually will be able to compete in the future even though they are a fragmented ecosystem, whatnot. So piggybacking on that note, right? Let's take your vision for a second. And when you're successful, let's say five years out, even longer if you need, but what does that car buying experience look like and feel like? How has it changed? So the the car buying experience is going to change because certain things won't change. People are going to, want to actually feel a car out. They're going to want to drive a car. They're going to smell the car. Meaning there's an element of a car that is very tactile. And I think people are going to want to get in their cars. And I think dealerships will be around. I do think a lot more of the uh, research and stuff is going to be done through tools like AI. And I think for us, what our vision is, is that the dealerships, like we, we think about the getting the dealerships ready, is that their data is organized. They have tools in AI to leverage it for whatever the consumers want and however the consumers want to engage, right? There's a dealer, David Long, who said he, he, the golden rule in this dealership is like communicate the way the dealer wants to commu- communicate, right? That's the golden rule plus plus, I think it was what it was, right? You know, the, a dealer coined uh, golden rule, which is if the, if the shopper wants to talk by phone, talk by phone. If they want to text, let them text. If they want to email, email. If they want to do it through their AI agent. Let them do it through their AI agent. Whatever it might be, do it. And so I think for us, like we're we're working now on what we think is the most important transformation for the auto industry, which is to take the CRM and the the DMS, which are right now the two legs of really the dealer tech stack. Yeah, website, but fine. That's you know their websites may come and go, may change, etc. The CRM and the DMS, and we believe the CDP will be like the next because it'll bring all the data into one one hub and be able to push to the CRM, push to the DMS, take from the DMS, and then around that, an AI operating layer, right? So what does that mean? Like the AI will know, okay, Sally's now looking to communicate. We're not paying attention to her. This was not answered well. Someone's got to right now close that loop and it's urgent and pop that up and let everyone know and maybe even suggest the talking points and even write the email and then just have a person do the reach out. Or they're going to say, hey, we need to generate the content right now to get into Sally's inbox or into her, frankly, paper mailbox even in five years, whatever it might be. And it can generate a lot of that content and get that done. So you're going to have these like like cyborg dealerships that are a mix of human and tech working to provide just the best possible experience in the way that the consumer wants. You know, it makes me wonder how... Like who who is the GM of the future of the dealerships? Or how does a small dealership survive when the more sophisticated groups that have so much more resources have these tools 
right? If I can send Sally a targeted message on a 2017 Prius that she wants, and you're sending her, flooding her with messages on 2022 GMC Sierras, which she could care less about, I mean, how are you going to possibly compete like that in the future? No, but this is this is the opposite. This is power to the people here. Like, you're basically democratizing things that were very, very difficult to do. So as an example, like you remember what it was like to create a website in, I don't know, whatever, 2005, I, I don't know, yeah. a, a year, whatever. <laughs> it, it was, was a mess. At some point it was a mess. You had to know code or you had to hire a wizard, AKA a developer to go write the website for you. If I want to set up a website today for something basic, I use Shopify, I use Wix. It's in everyone's ability to go and, and do something. And by the way, that's like, I don't know if you remember based on your age, but I assume you do, the Web 2.0 phenomenon, right? A lot of that was predicated on this idea that the cost of technologies just, just dropped. You can launch a web app, not for a million dollars of server cost, but for a thousand dollars of server cost. So it, it really opened things up. And I think the same thing is happening in automotive where dealers who are interested in using these types of tools and who are curious, you ask about the GM of the future, they've got to be curious, open to technology, have good instincts, of course. All They need the same skills they have now. They just have to be open to technology, and I think they already are, many of them. Those folks are going to have such power as individual dealers. Again, not to use like too much military analogies, but like they talk today about how I don't know, a little squad commander with a little computer has the ability to do things that you would have required like a, you know, a brigadier general to do beforehand, right? It's, it's just, it's really putting power out to the edge and it's giving every dealer the ability to like aggregate and clean their data up, to use AI to like get functions done, to build sophisticated marketing that they never could have dreamed. And that's already happening. I think that's what's going to happen. So I think you bring up a good point I didn't mention, right? Which is, you don't need to be sophisticated to use these tools, right? You meant you used the word democratizing, right? In my head, I was initially assuming probably need to be pretty sophisticated, but based on what you're saying is no, right? Like that's essentially the hard work you're doing. The end user, in this case, the dealer, the business, whoever, gets just to reap the benefits without you know needing to go through all that sophistication. Yeah, I think that's the way that we see it. Like it's the same thing, by the way, with the vehicle, right? Like if I have a if I have a car in 2024, think about how much easier it is to sort of handle that car than it was in 1974. Or I don't know, easier. I mean, I don't, cars today are computers. The steering works for you. You don't need to get underneath it now and like monkey around with stuff. If you do, you'll break it because it's a computer. So essentially like it actually becomes, you, you need less subject matter expertise and you can just use it another example i read oh man it was it wasn't in wired or ink a long time ago fast company maybe many many years ago i think it was nicholas negroponte who used to work at mit's or uh, or one of the negroponte's anyways he pointed out like music like when, when the digitization of music came out every producer was using it and like using synth sounds and like you had to know that it was digital because it was like the cool new thing now all music's digital. It's all digital, but you don't have to feel the digital. It's just there. Producers just use it and it's not a thing anymore. So similarly using like technology, like what we develop or GPTs in the future in certain ways, that will just be there at their fingertips. It won't be a big deal anymore. It won't be exciting. It'll just be the way they do business, but they will have immeasurably more power 
and capabilities than what they currently have. Well said. Dude, I'm scared for this next conversation we're going to have at some point later this year because every time, I mean, it feels like every conversation we have, there's so much progress done so quickly. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll all do our best to make it work for everyone. You know, that's I that's love it. Yeah. Well, super insightful and well well said. So, Aaron, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.